0: want to be a little sneaky and rebellious, which might fit well with our theme today. Good morning again. All right. A few weeks ago, uh, our family was in the car and having a bit of a conversation, as we often do in the car when the kids decide to listen, Uh, but vocabulary terms came up for that week's schoolwork, and one of them was maverick a nonconformist, a bit of a rebel. And uh, while my movie-loving children, of course, had Top Gun's Maverick on their brains, I chimed in and said, kind of like your mom. (laughs) To which at least one, if not both of them, scoffed a bit in disbelief in the back seat. And John then promptly confirmed was more true than they realized. And I thought, how funny is that? How funny. And we often think that we know someone, um, but yet our perspective, our history with them, our experience of them uh, changes, of course, what we, what we understand about them. And I think that sh- that's true as well uh, for Jesus. Uh, it's easy to forget how much of a rebel Jesus really was, at least in the sense that he was a nonconformist, and was quite subversive in his sharing of the good news. And so today I was reminded of that in our text. We're going to be looking at, eventually here in a minute, uh, uh, John chapter 4, which is a little further ahead than where we were last week. We were in chapter 2. But it's a good example of Jesus being a a bit rebellious, I think, and a nonconformist, as he meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. Before we get to our text, though, I want to bring us up to speed, because there's a lot that happens from the time that Jesus and the disciples leave that wedding at Cana, which we covered last week, to today's text. So stick with me. If, you want to, if you've got your uh, First Nations version, you're welcome to kind of like track with me as I move kind of through the chapters, or you can just listen, that's fine too. But i want to remind us of what happened in between. Jesus and the disciples had gone on to Capernaum for a few days, and then, as was custom, they journeyed to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. It was on this visit to Jerusalem that he turns over the tables of the money changers and the vendors at the temple, because their presence had made that holy site inaccessible for those who were already only granted limited access. His actions then stir up the religious authorities who question him, and he speaks of the temple being torn down and rebuilt. And he's actually foretelling his own bodily temple resurrection. It continues to say in verse 23 of chapter 2 that during Passover, people began to believe in him because they saw the powerful miracles he was performing. So he's been up to some things, right? At this point, I imagine Jesus' weariness is already building because he's had a lot of interactions with folks. Then you have Nicodemus, who comes to him at night. Now, first, I can assume that that means that he either woke Jesus from some sort of rest in some way, shape, or form, right? I don't know about you, but in our household, when the sun goes down, especially as it approaches like 7.30, I'm like done for the day, and I just want to rest, right? So he comes to Jesus at night. He is interrupting some sort of rest for Jesus. Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus couldn't do what he's doing without the maker of life walking with him, as the text says. And Jesus shares with him that only one who has been born from above or born of both water and spirit can see creator's good road. That's chapter 3, verse 2. Again, I imagine Jesus a bit worn out. Jesus and the disciples then head to Judea, where people come to Jesus to be baptized. It is at this point that John the Baptist steps back, and he's making a way for Jesus' public ministry in the area. And then we finally arrive at chapter 4. People are flocking to the Jordan River to be baptized by Jesus. But when Jesus found out that the Pharisees knew what he was doing, he decides to return to Galilee. Now, between Judea and Galilee is Samaria. And it was customary for so called pious Jews to go around Samaria. But instead, Jesus takes a route along the top of the ridge that passed by Sychar, right smack dab in Samaria. Samaria is the biblical name used for the central region of Palestine. And while I am no history buff nor an expert, on modern-day political disputes and relations between Israel and Palestine. I'm not even going to pretend that I know anything, really. It is clear that the tensions that are present go way, way back. Uh, Commentator Wilda Gaffney helps us out a little bit here. She says that Samaritans were the inhabitants of the northern monarchy of Israel who ultimately fell to Assyria and were largely deported. The land was repopulated with... Other conquered peoples and their descendants became known as Samaritans. Judeans held them in low esteem because of their mixed heritage to which they attributed differences between their worship traditions. You see, the Samaritan Pentateuch is the entirety of their sacred text. And there was a long-standing, when I say long-standing, I mean like almost 400-year-old dispute over which mountain the Lord had instructed Moses and then Joshua, and then Joshua later built upon the, the, that mountain, the altar. Okay, The Judeans believed that the mount was Mount Ebal, and the Samaritans believed that it was Mount Gerizim, where they built their own temple. And our story today takes place between these two mountains and in Samaria, and we pick up. In verse 5. As I read the text here this morning and as we listen through the lens of queer theology, I want to encourage us to pay attention to what our bodies feel and experience as we put ourselves in the story. I'm going to read verse 5 through 27. There he came to a place called Burial Site, or Sychar which was near a piece of land, Heel Grabber, also known as Jacob, had passed down to his son, Creator Givesmore, who is Joseph. Weary from his journey, about the sixth hour of the day, Creator sets free, who is Jesus, sat down to rest at the ancient watering hole of Heel Grabber, while the ones who walked the road with him went to the nearby village to find some food. The sun had reached midpoint in the sky. It was now the time of day when no one Would normally come to the watering hole a woman from high place which is samaria came to the well to draw water creator sets free saw the woman and said to her would you give me some water to drink this surprised the woman because a traditional man would not speak to a woman in public she found her voice and asked why would you a man from the tribes of wrestles with creator Israel, ask me for a drink, seeing I am a woman from high place. She said this because the tribes of wrestles with Creator have no dealings with the people from high place. If you only knew about Creator's good gift, he answered, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would ask him for living water and he would give it to you. She said to him, honored one, this watering hole is deep and you have no way to draw out the water. Where will you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor heel grabber who gave us this well and was first to drink from it with his children and animals? The ones who drink from this well will thirst again, Creator sets free answered, but the ones who drink the water I will give, never I give will never thirst, for this water will become a river flowing from inside of them, giving them the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. Honored one, please give me this water, she said to him, so I will never thirst again or need to walk this long path to get a drink. He said to her, Go to your husband and bring him here. I have no husband, she answered. Yes, this is true, Creator Sets Free said. You have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. Her eyes grew wide as she lifted a trembling hand to her mouth. Oh, I see. You are a prophet, she said back to him. Our ancestors honored and served the great spirit on this mountain, but your people say the only place to make our prayers and perform our ceremonies is in Village of Peace, which is Jerusalem. This was a very old argument between the people of High Place and the tribes of wrestles with Creator. Honored woman, trust my words, Creator sets free, said to her. Your people honor and serve him, but in ways they do not fully understand. We honor and serve him with understanding, for the good road that sets us free has been entrusted to the tribes of wrestles with Creator. But the time is coming when all who honor and serve the great mystery will not need to do so in this mountain, nor in the village of peace. The Father is looking for the ones who will honor him in spirit and truth, and the day for this has now come. The one above us all is spirit, and all who honor and serve the great spirit must do so in spirit and truth. I know the chosen one will come, she said, and when he comes, he will make all things clear to us. Creator sets free, said to her, I am the chosen one, the one who is speaking to you now. Just then his followers returned. They wondered why he was talking to a woman. But no one said to her, what do you want? Or to him, why are you talking to her? This is the word of the Lord. Again, this week I want to do a bit like last week. I want to entertain some wonderings, if you will. I want to assess the scene and pay attention to how both Jesus and the woman contribute to some themes or emerging patterns that we might hold to as followers of Jesus. The first theme that we might hold to as followers of Jesus is listening to and expressing what our bodies need. Jesus is weary from his journey, so he sits down. He literally sits on the well, which had a capstone of about 18 to 20 inches thick and about 5 feet across, with just a tiny little hole, in the top, to draw water from. And he just makes it his seat. So he sits down. We might ask why he didn't just go with everyone else to find some food in the nearby village of, of I cannot speak right now, Sheshem, That's hard to say. But it is only like 250 feet away. Like why did he just not carry on with them? Maybe Jesus' weariness was so intense that he just couldn't, even carry on Furthermore obviously Jesus expresses his need for a drink of water We then have the woman she comes to the well at noon and she comes alone These jars that she would have been filling with water are very heavy and it was custom for women to come in groups so that they could help each other put them on top of their heads if you've ever tried to lift a bucket of water on top of your head it is Not easy, let alone these big jars. And of course, they would come at cooler times of the day, so morning or late afternoon. This implies, I think, that she's avoiding other women. Maybe she's listening to her body's need to feel secure by not interacting with others who might stir up some sense of shame around her so-called moral situation, if you will. I want to say that we do not know what happened to her previous spouses, or why she's living with this man who is not her husband. However, it was not customary to have more than three spouses in a lifetime, so that would have made her morally suspect, if you will, no matter what. The second thing, in terms of a theme that we might hold to as followers of Jesus, is listening to what our bodies tell us about the divine. Think about what it is like to be walking along the road for a long time and what our bodies tell us. Some of us have a bit more experience walking for a very long time than others. I have noticed that when I'm attuned to what my body is telling me, I begin to notice God's presence through, in, and around me in really a unique way. And that leaves me wondering how Jesus experienced the divine in himself. As he walked and as he sat. Maybe his spirit sensed or expected to see someone else. When you spend a lot of time walking, there's a slowness about life that provides margin or opportunity to interact with other people. And so, you kind of expect the unexpected to happen. You begin to experience the spirit who blows where she wills. And I wonder what happened in the woman's body, what her body told her about the divine in herself and in the person of Jesus. I wonder what she thought of him. I mean, he's underprepared as a traveler. I know what I would have been thinking. He doesn't have his leather bucket to like draw any water at all. He has been walking, which means that he's poor, or at least not rich, And he's quite likely dusty and dirty from the road. And clearly she knows he is a Jew. Someone who she, as a Samaritan woman, would also view as an outsider. Interestingly, upon seeing the woman, Jesus would have been expected to withdraw about 25 feet away, indicating that it was both safe and culturally appropriate for her to approach the well. Jesus does not move, but notice, neither does that stop the woman. She approaches. I can't help but think that while Jesus is clearly not interested in upholding any clean versus unclean sort of distinctions, maybe, just maybe, the woman has been so shamed in her life that she just doesn't even care about protecting this strange man's need for ritual cleanliness. Trusting whatever ease she might feel, she approaches the well with this stranger present, even in the midst of her dis-ease, if you will, of approaching the well with other women. Maybe, just maybe, she can sense the divine presence. In him. The third thing is the erasing of boundaries and also finding mutuality and sharing dignity. I wonder why Jesus stopped at this sacred well. Again, he was only 250 feet away from Sheshem. Like, why didn't he just continue? I wonder if he knew something about that place that the others with him did not know i wonder if in stopping he knew he was somehow paying respect to those whom his own people despised not only that but here he expresses at this well his own need jesus needs what she can offer in asking for a drink we might say that jesus is Humanity is as unmistakable as his divinity. And in expressing this basic human need, her dignity is also affirmed. You see, Samaria was seen as unclean by many religiously observant Judean and Galilean Jews. Contact with a Samaritan, particularly a woman who, by the way, women were seen as unclean from birth, or sharing a meal or a common cup with a Samaritan would have rendered a Jew unclean. But Jesus expected to share a common cup. He doesn't even have a bucket, okay? He's expecting to share. He's blurring the lines or the rules of his day. We might say he's querying his identity. Jesus... The living water, even knowing the intimate details about this woman, grants her access to himself because he's the temple where she can get living water. As a Samaritan, she would have believed that the Torah of Moses would have been the gift of God. But Jesus is revealing not only that the gift of God is not a book, but it's a person, and that person is right in front of her and clearly accessible. We could go a little further and, and suggest that this is quite erotic, actually. Like, he is offering himself to her in a way that was not appropriate. <laughs> Interestingly, it is the woman who turns attention to the discussion of proper places to worship. Not only has Jesus already extended her dignity, but also mutuality in treating her as a serious theologian here. Jesus engages with her and suggests a form of worship, unlike temple worship, that would not separate men and women, that would not have special gender or ritualistic, clean or unclean restrictions and distinctions. He continues by saying that God is looking for those who will worship in spirit and truth. It's not about going to either of those disputed mountains. Following the divine spirit within himself, Jesus reveals his true self to her as the coming one, as our text says. The Samaritans would have called uh, the coming one, Tahib. And he responds by saying, ego emi in the Greek, or I am. This is the first of the I am sayings that appear in the book of John, and it is spoken to a Samaritan and a woman of all people. Nonconformist, I guess. The fourth thing is that mutuality leads to a depth of spiritual encounter that transforms. I'm not going to continue reading our text. There's more to this story. If I were to continue reading, we would notice a few things. That the woman goes back to the village, she drops her bucket and just goes quickly, to tell her people about who she has met. The disciples come back with food, as our text says, but then Jesus shares that he has food that what feeds him is doing the will and work of the one who sent him. And then we would read that based on the testimony of the woman, many of the people from the village came to see Jesus for themselves. And then, I mean, all of this is shocking, but then we would read that before he continues on his journey, he's, remember, he's on his way to Galilee, he actually stays with the people in Samaria for two more days. Talk about nonconformists. Imagine, imagine staying with the very folks with whom your people have a long history of not-so-great relations and despise. I wonder if in the weariness, Jesus just needed encouragement. Encouragement he found in the encounter with this woman who engages him theologically, spiritually, and physically through the mutual breaking of these norms. The sustenance that Jesus needs is to do the will of God, to be known, to be himself, the living water that transgresses boundaries and is good news for all people. This woman... Of ill reputation is who brings Jesus his true food by being the spark that brought the Samaritans into his presence. I can only imagine how this would have transformed Jesus, having communed with people for two more days. In doing so, he has established a spiritual and chosen The woman, though, is also transformed. She's depicted as only being on the path, not really having a full-fledged faith in Christ. And even so, she is the one who spreads the good news, the word. The very task that quite likely Jesus wanted his disciples to undertake, this woman does. The transformation that she experiences in her encounter with Jesus moves her to invite the people of Samaria to come see not simply God's Messiah, but God's presence among them in this outsider, no less. Friends, as followers of Jesus and siblings of the outsiders, we are invited to express our needs, to listen to what our bodies tell us about the divine, and to engage with mutuality and with dignity. Even when we don't have everything figured out, may we, like the woman and Jesus, be compelled to share living water with our neighbors in nonconformist ways that erase boundaries of belonging and of the kingdom. May those around us see for themselves the good news of God's presence among us. May it be so. Amen.